Popcorn Poops is brought to you by Audible.com. Please visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for a free audiobook and free 30-day trial of their subscription service. Audible is the internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 150,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. Audible.com is offering a free audiobook download to listeners of Popcorn Poops along with a 30-day trial of their services. This week we're recommending A Study in Scarlet by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, narrated by Derek Jacoby. To download this or another audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops. Be sure to visit the correct URL so they know we sent you, and you'll be helping to support our show. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash popcornpoops for your free audiobook. My name is Jessica. And my name is Dustin. We are the Popcorn Poops. Here at Popcorn Poops HQ, we produce a movie podcast and commentary track hybrid that may be synced up to whatever film we're talking about or enjoyed as a standalone audio program. Today we will be watching the 1985 film Young Sherlock Holmes, directed by Barry Levinson. If you are syncing this recording up to the movie, go ahead and start the film and then press pause as soon as the Paramount Vanity card completely fades to black. It's time to start the movie. Sinkers, press play at the beep after the countdown. Ready? Three, two, one. And this is uh, your pick this week, of course. And uh, I guess this was a pretty important film to your childhood. This is actually the first time I've ever seen this this week, watching this in preparation for the show. Oh, really? Um, but just briefly, give us a, uh, a kind of your history with this movie. Um... I, I mean, I don't know when the first time I saw it was. I, it was made in 85, and I was born in 87, so so it could have been incredibly early in my childhood at any point, but I feel like I was maybe a little bit older when I saw it, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense, thinking of my parents, because there are some pretty, well, I wouldn't say pretty graphic scenes, but there's some scary stuff there's in here. There's some scary, like, 80s kids movie mm-hmm. type stuff in here, sure. So, so I don't think I was little, little, but I was pretty young when I saw it, and um, and it just stuck with me when I was a kid. I just loved it, and I loved the characters, and oh, God, I loved the romance, too, so much. And loved, unfortunately, loved past tense. Unfortunately, as an adult viewing it, again, um, that was unfounded, but... Uh, I loved this movie when I was a kid. It just mesmerized me. It does have that kind of Steven Spielberg magic to it, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, he he produced this. And uh, when we see the opening credits, we'll be able to see uh, the s- sort of a, a Steven Spielberg, <laughs> um, uh, Steve, I guess Steven Spielberg, George Lucas, Dream Team, USC Dream Team kind of production where it's got people like Kathleen Kennedy in it and Chris Columbus wrote the screenplay and uh, of course Barry Levinson like all those people that were kind of around at the time and doing and working with Steven Spielberg really closely and it just it certainly has that feeling to it it certainly has that magic in the and the score really helps in that regard um, who, who did the score I, I keep forgetting uh, his name Bruce uh, Bruce Broughton Bruce Broughton or Broughton, Broughton? something like that. Uh, I had never actually heard of him before, but he's done some pretty notable things, as I understand, right? Pretty, pretty notable is a is a good qualifier there. Pretty. Pretty. (laughs) Um, Some of the stuff I found that that at least popped out to me, and of course, I'm sure there's other stuff in his uh, in his history that is probably way more important, but I just don't care about. Um, But like (laughs) Homeward Homeward Bound, sure, the sequel, uh, Tombstone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a great score. The now rescuers that I'm about down it. under. Okay. Wow. Um, 
And then I thought this was funny because it was a tie-in, but he did a few episodes of the Logan's Run TV show. Oh wow! Yeah, we did that. Uh, we did that movie uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's yeah. great. Um, yeah, the uh, the music is really great, and I think that probably helps uh, give us that feeling, that nostalgic kind it's of fantastic. feeling. It's fantastic. It's. I mean, the theme, the main theme is. Oh, just, it's wonderful! It's, it's wonderful! It's so charming, so memorable. And and we haven't hit it yet. We're gonna hit it when after the the title card pops up. Mm-hmm. But once it pops up, you hear it, and you're just like, oh yeah. This yeah. is an adventure. Yeah, I'm it, into it. It's really good. And I, I think that, you know, I uh, like I said, this is the first time I've actually watched this movie. And uh, as long as I've known you, you would bring this movie up from time to time and say that it was really important to you and that you you especially loved the character of Watson in this movie. I think and his I still think that his acting is his really performance great. Is great. His really performance great. is really great. Uh, and and you kind of held this up as one of the great films of your childhood, like kind of the, the one of the the movies that uh, it affected me. Yeah. It it was one of those movies that it wasn't it wasn't just that it was fun because there were a lot of movies that were that were fun in my childhood, but yeah. um, but this was one of those ones that. I kind of didn't want to go back to it. Like it when when his girlfriend dies, when Elizabeth dies at the end of the movie, I was so devastated. And not because I cared about her, but because of his reaction. Because this cold, calculating guy who is genius, you know, yeah. is a genius, and he's just so moved by this this woman's death. And um, I think it it instigated in my very very young self a love for that kind of character, for the kind of of hero who who just is is so intelligent or so brave or so whatever that he has like no emotion, you yeah. know, he doesn't feel fear, he doesn't feel sadness, he doesn't feel anger, but his love for a person can be so strong that in those moments when they're in danger or they're harmed that that he breaks a little bit and oh god I just loved it love conquers all oh I loved it this scene right here that we're watching right now with the the character of uh, Bobster his name is Mr. Bobster hallucinating and thinking that his room is coming to life and that <laughs> his, it's on his the... roasted pheasant first yeah his roasted pheasant in the in the scene before this in the restaurant was great it's a great little gross looking puppet like mm-hmm. all practical effects uh, it was kind of like the turkey coming to life in uh, uh, which which one was it it was one of the house sequels. Oh, was it four? No, right? No. Maybe, may, maybe three? House Three. The no. one that wasn't actually a house sequel, but it was actually they just titled it a house sequel. Oh, oh, the uh, the one that was actually the horror show, maybe. Uh, the one like the guy, the elect, the guy, yeah, got the horror show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's in that one that a turkey comes to life on the dinner table, <laughs> or it gets maggoty, or something like that. Okay, uh, I, I can't remember which house sequel it was. But <laughs> Um, yeah, now we're hearing the great, the, the yep. great theme song, uh, but that scene in the, in his bedroom with all of his stuff coming to life feels very distinctly kind of influenced by uh, maybe evil dead, the evil dead movies. Okay. Um, yeah, I, can I, see I that. get that vibe from it. It's very, very Raimi esque to make up a like word. the wall mounts and stuff moving of their own accord mm-hmm. and, and, and the lamps, uh, Raimi esque Ramian Raimi. I'm going to say Ramian. Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, this score is really, really great. Oh, Surprisingly great. Uh, and you know, I, I said before that this is, you know, this was the first time coming to this movie for me. And and for me, as an adult watching this children's movie for the first time, I can see that. I, I, I mean, I, I will really openly admit that I think it's kind of an excellent children's film. It's yeah. kind of an excellent little adventure movie. I was terrified you were going to hate it because I haven't seen it since I was a kid. <laughs> I have and and I loved it so much when I was a kid and I haven't seen it since then and and I was a little scared to rewatch it because you know you always fear that you were 
just you were just a dumb kid. Yeah, yeah. and and so I was a little Which scared to rewatch it. Yeah. And um, uh, but even after rewatching it, I was still kind of scared that you were still going to hate it because I I know some of it's kind of silly and and the um. Uh, especially when we get into like the the stupid like we, gotta, we have a disclaimer here. I want to talk about the following story is original. It, it says that the the following story is original and not based on uh, not specifically based on the exploits of Sherlock Holmes as described in the works of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And it's kind of a it's kind of a little strange to me. I think it's kind of lame, and I'm surprised that we don't see more of those these days. Kind of in the age of the the butthurt internet geek mm. and with all of the, like the geek has kind of inherited the earth and we see comic book movies, multiple comic book movies every single summer. Geek properties are the biggest properties, but this movie has a disclaimer saying, Hey, don't get upset that we made up a Sherlock Holmes story. It's just for fun, you know, total, you know, respect to Doyle and his works. But then they do it again at the end of the movie. They do do it again There's, at the end. So they book, they kind of bookend this movie with disclaimers <laughs> that say essentially the same thing: is please don't get upset that we made up our own Sherlock Holmes story. Well, I mean, I I will say though that like Sherlock Holmes ge- Holmes geeks, like they've got to be intense, pretty intense. I've never, I don't know, right? but I don't think I've ever met one. I don't think I have either. But they've got to be. But uh, I would expect they'd be pretty intense because, I mean, to to be a master of Sherlock Holmes, you've got to be maybe even as smart let's dare say sure yeah i mean you have to at least know everything he knows sure i think the same can be said about writing a sherlock holmes story which is why this movie has some problems right exactly and i was i was saying that i I do think it's a kind of an excellent little adventure film for children however i think it's kind of a terrible sherlock holmes story (laughs) um you know, disclaimers aside, it's it's fine that they give us a disclaimer, and I don't care one way or another that it's they're using these characters from beloved literature. Or I, no, I I I okay, I won't say I love it. I generally like it when people go as far as to love love a great literary work so much that they turn it into something modern that modern audiences can. Uh, that's right. more palatable at, for modern at modern worst audiences. at worst that can feel like fan fiction yes at worst when it's done poorly but like, at best you know. it can it can uh, be as welcome as anything that's actually it can, canonized it can be canonized right you know, and it can ways, yeah. it can you know uh, put new put new fire into it you know sure. make people go back to it I'm sure that after this movie came out there was a revival of his works there there must have I been like reprintings it. of his books and stuff because because people cared again. Mm-hmm. They remembered and they cared. Oh, yeah, we loved those stories. Yeah, and, and I guess part of the reason why I think it's kind of a terrible Sherlock Holmes story is that it's not smart enough to be a Sherlock Holmes right. story. Um, and also <laughs> there are some little narrative things that, that kind of irk me. Um, we heard at the beginning of the movie, um, or as soon as we see Watson, uh, there's some narration of, of Watson clearly as an adult recounting this story mm-hmm. from his childhood, you know, when he first meets Sherlock Holmes and, and goes on this little adventure of a lifetime, as they keep calling it. I think the tagline of the movie is, before they shared a lifetime of adventure, they had an adventure of a lifetime or something like that. Oh, that's kind of, mm, yeah, okay. I don't know. <laughs> um, but, you know, that establishes, or it should rather, it should establish that the movie takes place from Watson's perspective. And very soon we will see that it that actually is not the case. This is as it should be Sherlock Holmes story it's his movie and he he strikes off on his own and he's got many scenes by himself where Watson has no perspective on the scene and and it really is told kind of through the eyes of Sherlock Holmes um 
But then the narration keeps popping back up and doing weird things and trying to trick us into <laughs> thinking that it's Watson's story when it's not. And well, we'll in, see that. in the books, uh, almost all of the books are first person from Watson. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. I, I admit, here's an admission: I've Have never, never read I've any? never read not even any. Hound. No, not oh even Hound. Oh my hounds. gosh, I thought hounds that was ba- I thought that was required. Is it Hound or Hounds? It's the Hounds, the hounds. of Baskerville. Yeah. I nope. I thought that was that was Again, required. I'm, I'm a bad geek. I'm a really bad geek. Um, it's Hound. The professor of this science class, I hate his performance. I hate it right here. It is so put on. <laughs> it's terrible. Just the way he stumbles over his lines and tries to, you know, I'm an old man. Look how I talk. It's it's really, really put on, um, and and I'm not a big fan of it. Um, but you do, you do like Watson quite a bit, and I would say that Watson is probably, I mean, for me, he's probably the star performance in, in the entire movie. Watson, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, what, what Not I to say saying, that Nicholas Rowe doesn't do a great job as Sherlock Holmes. He's excellent. I think he does, too. And, okay, and I will say this, though. Now, generally, I'm really against this kind of character. But don't you think <laughs> he's like the foundation, maybe, at least in part of the unattractive but attractive? Unconventionally right. attractive. Right, um, like, the, um, like the Doctor Who guy who all the girls were freaking out over in the last season. Was it Matt Smith? Is that his name? Yeah. Uh, yeah, think, yeah, maybe. I think he definitely fits the Cumberbatch mold. Right, that's um, what I'm talking about. The, those, those guys that are kind of like Tom Hiddleston as Loki, mm-hmm, Alan mm-hmm. Rickman as Snape. You know, I Cumberbatch think he, he was an early kind of incarnation thing. of that. You know, because he's got like the long nose, which, which isn't that great looking, but somehow he kind of fits in his face. And and in the end, when you've got like such a intelligent personality behind it, then you don't really care that much. And yeah, it's. I, I think he definitely was there, and um, and maybe as a child I was I was before you know I was an adult and I was sort of watching this happen and kind of disliking it for the fans instead of for for what it was. Um, right. uh, I think as a child I was sold on it. I loved him. So they 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 try to establish this little love triangle between <laughs> Sherlock Holmes. Oh yeah, here's Malfoy. <laughs> you're, you're 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 jumping the gun a little bit, but oh, we we will get to that. Um, they I feel like this little romance is kind of shoehorned in. Uh, you said that you don't like this actress or you don't like this female character as much as you did when you were a child. How and old I, is she supposed to be? Oh, good God, I don't know. She's Six, got like a bow in her hair, like this dumb know, little blue bow in her hair, and that's like the whole sixteen or something, probably. I I mean, for me, it just it just kind of ties together my whole my whole opinion of her which is just that she's just this dumb little girl like she doesn't do anything and oh the movie gives her nothing nothing to do. nothing to do and the only time she goes to do anything whatsoever um even when when he's later in the movie he's going to be staying with her in her uncle's apartment yes and uh and he's going to be staying with her there and and when he's in there um he says Something like, I'm going to be needing food and supplies, or Watson says that. And then they both look at Watson like, well, I guess you'll have to be getting those. And I'm like, but she, but what are you doing? Like, why couldn't she go out and get food and supplies? Like, it wouldn't be suspicious for her to be going in and out of the apartment. But when they finally do give her something to do, the one time she has to go collect stuff and salvage stuff from her uncle's apartment, she gets kidnapped. Yep. Of course. Of course. Of course. They of give course. her nothing to do except get kidnapped and have to be rescued. <laughs> and die. 
and die, of course. Get kidnapped and die. <laughs> and uh, and I guess make Sherlock into the, like the cold calculating. Oh, this would this character. would definitely be um, a no no character for uh, who's the girl who who you watch her videos all the time and she's really uh, the the feminist game critique right now. Oh, Anita Sarkeesian. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, she's awesome and. Um, she, she, I bet would have a lot of problems with this character. Oh, of course because, she would. <laughs> well, of course she would, but specifically because the whole, we're, we're basing the whole foundation for our hero's motivations and personality on the death of a woman. Yeah. And, and which is something she complains about and rightfully I believe, so I in a that, lot of video games. I believe games. that trope is called the woman in the, the woman in the fridge trope or something like that. Mm. Yeah. Where, where all of the motivations of our, of our hero are the foundation of them, the core, comes from a woman dying. Right. Exactly. Um, I, I And a part of me, I guess a more cynical part of me, feels like maybe the love interest is shoehorned into this movie to mitigate kind of the latent homoeroticism <laughs> of a Sherlock Holmes and Watson story. Oh, okay. Um, of course, the new BBC TV, well, we say new, it's a few years old now, but the, the new BBC TV show Sherlock uh, kind of revels in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they just love it. To great effect, I oh, think. Oh, yeah. I think it's really, it's really great. Um, but I don't know. It's, uh, I guess when you have a story about two young men going on an adventure together, okay, there's okay, always so, going to be some So I was going to of... save this for later, but because, because it's so perfect to po- talk about right now, then I will. Um, but... So you know she, how she dies in this movie. She dies from a bullet wound. Yes, right. And uh, that the the bullet the bullet wound scene is very similar to a scene from one of the later short stories in the in the Holmes series, The Adventures of the Three uh, Garadebs. I want to say I haven't read the short stories. I've only read a couple of the books. Okay. Um, but anyway, so in that scene, Watson in in this short story, Watson gets uh, shot and. And there's this moment, and it must be in the BBC TV show, the scene where doesn't something... No, 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 no. Watson's got like a bomb strapped to him or something like that. Remember? Oh, yes. With Moriarty. I think it's it's the last scene of the first season. And there's this really like moving moment between the two of them. Moving, Mm, uh, sexually mm, charged mm, even. Right, right. And then like at the end of it, like Holmes is really, really shook up and he's affected by it. Right. It's this great, great moment. And... um. And in and I think that and also, which is my tie-in here, her death is a tie-in to this scene from the short stories, where Watson gets hit, uh, shot with a gun, and so Watson's narration in this in this passage is, "It was worth a wound. It was worth many wounds to know the depth of loyalty and love which lay beyond that cold mask." The clear, hard eyes were dimmed for a moment, and the firm lips were shaking. For the one and only time, I caught a glimpse of a great heart as well as a great brain. All my years of humble but single-minded service culminated in that moment of revelation. Oh, my God. Right? So if Are you we're... sure that's not fan fiction? No. Okay. <laughs> so, so... Uh... Not to insult, you know, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's works like that, but... No, it's awesome. Yeah, uh, right, it's, it's, right, it's, right, 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 right. No, I get what you're I don't saying mean about it. I don't mean fiction. it. It's, it's yes. a great passage, but yeah. Yes. Um, but but anyways, though, I mean, that, that scene has to be lifted directly from for this movie. Right. I mean, that's yeah. got to be the moment that because Watson even says it's the only the second time in his life he's seen Holmes cry. Yeah. It's when she dies. Yes. And it's this moment where that cold calculating guy kind of breaks. And so definitely 
it's taken from the moment where that happens in in the canon in the stories where that happens but that's between Holmes and Watson and here it's between Holmes and a woman so that we don't have to deal with the I, uh, gay I issues. don't know all that much about <coughs> Sherlock Holmes lore I don't know all that much you were talking about canon I don't know all that much about Sher- Sherlock Holmes um, but I I want like I know some I know the big things and when I see him in this movie I'm like oh, okay he says Elementary, my dear, I guess the character of Rupert, uh, Elizabeth's uh, older uncle, who's living at the school and he makes this flying machine that he's always like tinkering with and toying with. Uh, He says at one point, uh, elementary, my dear Holmes, because he's Mm. talking to to Sherlock Holmes. And of course, everyone knows that that's a famous line from the books. He says, elementary, my dear Watson and all that kind of stuff. I get the really big stuff. I don't know how much more there is in this movie that like diehard fans would be like, oh, that's great. That's right out of this story or whatever. Like, is Sherlock Holmes like a fencing master in, in the series? I don't know that. I don't know about fencing. Was I know... was is, was he an apprentice of someone named Rupert Waxflatter? Like, is that something from the books? <laughs> I don't know how much mm. of this story is kind of lifted out of the Sherlock Holmes canon. Like I said, well, there are actually there are only four novels in uh, orig- you know, by Doyle himself. Right, right. Um, there, of course, there's like a young Sherlock Holmes series and stuff like that. Uh, now, study like. in Scarlet, Hounds of Baskerville. Uh, uh, I don't know the other eight two. and a half percent solution. Maybe mm. I, I can't remember. I've I've read Hound, Hound of Baskerville, and seven and a half percent solution. I think actually. Scarlet. <laughs> but but anyways, though I don't I I'm not like a huge. I haven't read a lot of Sherlock Holmes stuff. It's one of the one of the series of works that that I would like to get deeper into because I love Holmes. Um, but I haven't read any of the short stories, and um, and and uh, I've lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot what you were talking about. Too. Thanks. <laughs> This is good a time any any two because we missed the scene and I wanted to say something about it. This is the best time to talk about the fact that this is to me undoubtedly like proto Harry Potter. Absolutely, but the, the first the first moment when when we see Watson, I got that feeling. This yeah, time. you you said it way earlier than I got the feeling, and that and it kind of surprised me that you said it at all. But uh, when I really got the feeling at first was in the mess hall scene when they're when right. they're in the cafeteria area. Or the dining hall, and it looks just like Hogwarts with the candlelight with the and everything, and, and the professors kind of all lined up at the front. Exactly, like the lighting and then and the staging and the way everything is set in that scene. Uh, the 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 mise en scene, if if I can be really snooty about it, uh, is very much like Harry Potter. And uh, I think that the similarities are not just that superficial. I really feel like this feels in a lot of ways like Harry Potter before Harry Potter was Absolutely. a thing. Uh, so much so that if you're like a diehard Harry Potter fan and you're really sad that there are no more books and no more you movies or anything, go and watch this. please watch this movie because it really kind of captures that same kind of magic. Yeah, it absolutely. really does. Um, I, now, I will, my first instinct when, uh, of course, when I was a kid, there was no Harry Potter. Yes. So when I was watching this You said something child, about it earlier. You said Malfoy. Uh, yeah, you, you yeah. Uh, we've got Malfoy and then they're going to, I guess, I don't know what the crazy professor would be, Hagrid's house or something to go hang out, right? Sure, it's like Hag- yeah, Hagrid's house. And then there's and you've like. Got, and I the, mean, there are three of them. The we've pro- got the professor a girl who, and two boys. Yeah, exactly. You've got professors whose motivations seems like, seem like they are against the main characters, but they're actually for the main characters, and then vice versa. And, right. you know, it, that, that dichotomy between like school life and the adventure is very much <laughs> like how the Harry Potter now, stories are. However, though, I. 
even though I immediately got the same feeling, it's also the music. It's the music for one thing. It's the it's the setting, like the location specifically that we're somewhere what in England and it's winter and it's it's snowing, right? So the music and all of that gives it that feel, and that's what immediately triggered it for me. I backed up a little bit because. Oh, go ahead and talk about it. I know you want to. Okay, so we're we're in probably the most famous scene in this entire movie, and it's it's the stained glass night scene. So this creature uh, or this character of the stained glass night who scares the priest out of the uh, out of the chapel and into the road where he gets run over by this cart. Um, it is the most famous scene in the movie because it was the very first creature created one hundred percent with CGI, um, and it. It was created by Industrial Light and Magic, um, uh, specifically by a very small studio at the time by the name of Pixar. Ah, interesting. Um, John Laster himself worked on this, worked on that uh, the, the stained glass night creature, uh, and it took them four months to do that. And the scene itself, like the scene that contains Five the seconds. CGI, seconds, less than a minute, four months to create that effect. And I'm going to... I'm, I'm going to say it still kind of holds it's not, up. It's not horrible. It's not horrible. I mean, there's worse it, still being shown on, like, sci-fi channels. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. There's worse CG made today. today. I think it looks fine. <laughs> I really do. So uh, that's really a testament to hard work and early CGI effects. And this movie is still is still using a lot of more practical effects, too. Um, oh, with yeah, some lots. of the creatures. And they, they use some stop motion and stuff later with the pastries coming sure. to life. And Anyways, okay. So Harry Potter. Um I step back a little bit from the theory that this is this is like, uh, dare we say, J.K. Rowling maybe saw this movie, right? Yeah, right. Like, I- dare dare we go there and make a suggestion like that? Um, however, though, if you just type it into the internet, it, it's all over the place. Really, there, there are articles out there all over the place about like, how this right, is like. Oh, a, I like didn't realize tearing that. it apart, like piece, and of course, conspiracy theorists, right? Um, some of the conspiracy stuff I found was like Hermione, Harry, and Weasley for yeah, Ron. Yeah. Holmes, Hardy is Elizabeth's last name, and Watson, H H W. Oh my god. Okay, so like they tear it apart even that <laughs> wow. that much. You, you're it's right. A, it is little, kind of conspiracy conspiracy yeah, theory level. <laughs> a little a little serious, silly, yeah. but um, but anyways though, it's all over the internet. So it's not just us who who has this idea. Right. But I backed away from it initially initially because. Of the same reason why why American audiences in, oh, God, I'm going to say it, over-freaked out about Harry Potter as a series, uh, as a book series. Sure. Um, part of the reason that that happened in the States and didn't happen so much abroad is because we don't go to boarding school. Right. And so to us... There is kind of a... Uh, it, it romanticized it, it, feeling right. to it. It makes yeah. us, we're like, oh my God, they get to live together at school and they go on adventures and their mommies and daddies aren't there to watch them. And, <laughs> and, and so like for American kids, it was this whole new concept and it was really cool. Um, and I think one of the major tie-ins to this movie in Harry Potter is just is that it's at boarding school. And so you immediately get that feeling because... Maybe that's what halls always look like in boarding school. I didn't go, so I don't know. But exactly. maybe they're always lined up with the tables like that and the professors up front. I don't know. Some of the, some of the stuff seems re- like <laughs> Watson, 
uh, wears that scarf through this entire movie and like with his haircut and even the way his face looks and the round glasses yes, like yes, Watson true. True. really again, looks like outfit, Harry Potter. The outfit is probably reminiscent of a typical boarding school exactly, outfit exactly. which is why the Harry Potter outfits look like they do is because they're reminiscent exactly. of a typical so boarding school outfit. any English people listening to this are probably saying you dumb Americans. That's right, just, right. That's just how it's boarding, just school, how boarding school looks and because both of them are set in boarding school to us as Americans we take that distinction and we're like oh my god they're the same thing but they're actually just a really it's like if you know someone who didn't come from a country where public high school the way we see it in America was a normal thing and they saw two TV shows that were both set in a public high school and they were like oh my god look at all these parallels and you're like no they just all have lockers that are hard to open and so all of this about like how how Holmes deduces things in this movie, I'm I'm not a huge fan of. I, I think the best it got was our our first meeting, our initial meeting with Watson and Holmes, where he, you know, gives him all this information about himself and, and Watson says, Well, what is it, some kind of magic trick? How did you do that? And and he says, Oh, well, I deduced from this that this means this and this, that, and this and whatever. And it's like, Oh, okay, that's great. That's cool. That's what that's what I like to see Sherlock you know, Holmes. You know there's do. a name for it. What is it? Holmesian deduction. Holmesian deduction. Okay, so deductive the deductive ho- reasoning, right? But, deductive yeah. reasoning and and Holmesian deduction, like in you know that specific way that he does it, and no one else can. I don't think it gets better than that in the rest of the movie. In mm. fact, this whole little thing that he's just done with uh, the trophy, where he challenges what's his name, Dudley, Dudley Malfoy. Malfoy. <laughs> he's even got the hair. I mean, there Although, are so many parallels. Isn't Harry Potter's cousin named Dudley? Ah, yes. <laughs> right? And he's also sort of a villain, like, in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, like, the, the him him doing that whole thing, and we get, like, a montage of him running around the school and finding these clues and doing all this kind of stuff. You can't really follow it as an audience member. You just watch him do stuff, and then you see him right now explain it to Watson. like Explain what, how elementary it is. What, in fact, he did. Which, if, if you really think about like what Dudley had to do or what he's implying he had to do to set up the the, the deductive did reasoning he had, like, game. he make a pot? Yeah, like he had <laughs> to make a replica of an antique pot and put the statue inside it. Why didn't he just put the statue inside the real pot? Like... <laughs> Why did he have to make a replica pot so I don't that know, Holmes, maybe it wasn't going to fit in that pot so that Holmes could break it? But the professor comes in and recognizes the pot and says, "No, it's an antique." Right, but it's not. It's it's a it's a, it's replica. a replica. Right. So what I'm saying is the the trophy couldn't fit inside the pot. So there's no way he could have put oh, the trophy to, in the pot. He had to make it in, make it to, around the trophy. But that means he baked the trophy, right? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> Anyways, um, trophy and Goblet of Fire. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> it just goes on and on. It's endless. But, however, though, um, uh, one of the major complaints to that is, like, so we've got our three main characters. I guess Hermione is Sherlock. Well, this, as as the more because it's definitely one. not Elizabeth. Oh, what is she's nothing like it's <laughs> like some of the some of the comparisons to Harry Potter are pretty superficial, and then there that there's two boys and a girl, mm. but I don't know that like their personalities seem to be kind of split, and like there are elements of those elements characters of and, the characters, and because the one who looks the most like Harry is is Watson, but I, I he's not the leader, you know, he's not the most important member, so. So they they try to establish this. We're seeing Lestrade, a, a detective uh, at the local uh, police department. We're seeing that there is some strife between 
Holmes and Lestrade because it's clear that Holmes is always going to Lestrade and telling him, oh, you need to be looking at this case. You need to, you know, I think that there's something going on, something suspicious. And Lestrade is like, I've heard enough from you, Holmes. You're always doing this. You know, let let the police do their jobs. You don't have to act like a police or a detective or anything like that. And, and, and this is a character that's from canon, too. I was about to ask yeah. that because this feels like it has history. Like yeah. the way this scene, it just, I mean, it, it, it's the, the scene starts and you feel the tension immediately. And you don't know who this character is if you don't know Sherlock Holmes lore. And I didn't know anything about this character, but I felt like, wow, this character feels like already drawn. Like um, this relationship I, already I, exists. Like a lot of the stuff in, in this story, I don't think there's any reference that would let us know that, you know, Holmes was bugging him when they were when he was a kid. No, no, no. Um, but but yeah, in in the in the stories and stuff. Doyle mentions this character a lot. I guess he has to deal with him sometimes and maybe do, do makes his job like, more difficult. Do they have like a rivalry or something like that? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't remember Is he like head of Scotland Yard or something like I that? I think he worked for Scotland Yard, but I don't think he does okay. in the story. I don't remember. That's I don't, interesting. But, but that, that, that kind of stood out to me uh, <laughs> as someone who doesn't know Sherlock Holmes lore enough to know who Lestrade would be at all or to even know if he was a, he's a character, you know, a canonical character. I just remember that he was someone from, from the story. Yeah, that, so. the relationship feels... Uh, feels like it already has history and i think that's uh that's really interesting and there's a lot of that they go back and i think they they some of it's kind of fun where they give us reasons for why like it, like the particular uh uh points of his outfit came to be like his hat came from um what what's his name the crazy guy what uh wax 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 flatter wax flatter yeah um they sure do have harry potter names right dibs and wax flatter and I think I think it might just be I th- I think it it might actually just be um I don't know maybe just making fun of of British names. <laughs> okay. Or like Anglo names. I think I think Anglo names are easy to make fun of, especially when you've still got people coming to prominence like Benedict Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Like that's such an easy name to make fun yeah, of. Like, all, all, with all due respect to him, he's a he's a fine actor, and and I I enjoy you know watching him work and all. But that it's kind of like stuff. the most British name that ever. Exactly. British. So when you see like like stories about stuffy old British people, of course they're going to have names like Penderflabble, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Um. So. The fencing professor here, we don't actually hear his name until over halfway through the movie, which I think is both a good and a bad thing. Did you notice that, that we don't mm-hmm. actually hear his name? His name in the movie is Pro- Professor Wraith, or his his fake name, I guess. Um, and we don't hear it until <laughs> over halfway through the movie, I think for a very pragmatic reason in that there's this really stupid element to the script where one of the characters' last words before he dies is Atar, and Atar, written backwards, is Wraith. So this guy chose... Huh. You know what that's kind of like? That's kind of like Lord Voldemort and Tom Marvolo Riddle mixing up the letters and getting a new name. Wow, you're—I mean, you're—you're kind of convincing me here. I'm just saying, there's a lot of it. There is a lot of it. 
again, I really do think the main I didn't drive... realize that was a thing. Like I like you I guess you went online and looked at no, all No, 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 I was up. thinking it. That was the first thing that popped in my head when they said the backwards name. I was like, "Oh, didn't they do that with that thing in the book where the like they mixed up the letters?" Also there when I looked up online the thing people talk about is the direct relation to a backwards name, the mirror of what is it, Arised or something? I don't know. It's desire spelled backwards, yeah. the one that he they look at and they can see what they want. Um but but the one I thought of was Lord Voldemort and and the name, you know, being being mixed up and it's spelling out Lord Voldemort. Tom Riddle. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um anyways, yeah. This is kind of the perfect movie to usher in our our month of Christmas movies, which is starting right. Next it month. is, isn't it? It's kind of an almost Christmas it's movie. Almost a Christmas movie. <laughs> the 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 movie ends on Christmas Day, because uh, they say Merry Christmas to each other, and it's at the very end of the movie. We never see anything that's specifically Christmassy, other than like you know, snowy streets and stuff like that. Um, but <laughs> but uh, I like I like I like this little thing that he's done to Dudley here, where he's. Uh, changed his appearance with some kind of potion in his tea or something like that. You know, oh whatever. My God. I, I, I shouldn't have said potion. Uh-huh. Um, but as long as we're going the Harry Potter route, uh, it kind of changes the de facto uh, Malfoy, Malfoy character into a fair-skinned, light-haired, platinum-haired individual. Mm. <laughs> well, he already has blonde hair, and it's kind of slicked back. He, yeah. he already pulls he look, it off. He kind of looks like, right? like Malfoy, and he is kind of that character in this movie. Um, one thing I don't like about this movie is that I think the the villains, like how they go about their big evil scheme, is really stupid. Yeah. They it shoot is. people with blowguns that have poisonous thorns that cause them to hallucinate, and then maybe kill themselves? Like it's successful when it's convenient for it to be sex- successful in the in the narrative, um, but of course when when uh, Sherlock Holmes and his friends start hallucinating, they don't end up killing themselves. Well, and and the thing is too, like sometimes when they choose to do it is really dumb. Like when when they're with uh, who's the last guy that they see? Uh, oh, cra- what's his name? Cra- Cratchit or something? Cratchwitch or Cratwit? Cragwitch? Something like that. Um, he <laughs> Flundelblockles. <laughs> Um. So uh, they they're with him though, and it's after they just it's after the scene where they were with Wraith and his uh, who turns out to be his sister, the servant woman, Miss right. Dibbs or whatever her name is, um, uh, Mrs. Dribble or Dib or Bibble or whatever. All that's super predictable though, because once they establish that, like, once they tell the backstory of like the six guys who went to the same university and they're all being killed off by this. Uh, What's the name of it? What's the name of the group? Uh, the uh, Rama Ramatep. Ramatep. Something. They're all being killed off by this Ramatep group, which has been organized by this guy named Atar, who was an Anglo Egyptian whose town, his village, whose Egyptian village, whose Egyptian village was burned down. While he and his sister were there, and then they blamed it on the... It's a little convoluted. Yeah. I'm not really sure what happened. When I was a kid, I was always like, oh, this is the part where the music gets crazy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I don't know what's going there's on. There's this whole convoluted backstory about these British businessmen <laughs> who want to build a like a resort hotel in Egypt, and while they're there, they're dig- they find this underground pyramid that has... Some the, princesses. The bodies of five princesses, and they steal the princesses and all the, the treasure 
treasures and then like the locals get really upset and they they fight back and then the, and the village gets burned the, well the, the British uh, Empire I guess the military gets involved and and they come in and this this village gets burned and this kid named Atar and his little sister um, <laughs> who are Anglo-Egyptian and they were in London at the time or they were in England at the time of their village being burned and their parents got killed and everyone they know gets killed. Atar writes a letter to these six businessmen who built the hotel and kind of started this whole thing. He held, holds them responsible and says that when he comes of age, he's going to claim his revenge on them and he's going. they're going to, going to replace the five bodies of the princesses, which is a really convoluted way to make this story work at all. You know? Yeah, it's really... And I have other issues with it that that I'll get to when we're there. But one of my things with the dart gun is like later we see because Watson and Holmes and Elizabeth all get shot with it. And so they have the little thorns and they bring them to Lestrade, the inspector. Right. And they show it to him. And this is this is where Rupert says well, it, this before is before he dies. he's he's an inspector. He's not Inspector Lestrade yet, but right. Um, he's they, just a detective, yeah, Detective Lestrade. Yeah. Like, but so they bring him because Holmes makes a little jibe at him, like trying to get his ambition up to try and make him follow the case. And he's like, you know, this could be the thing that makes you an inspector. Yeah. Whatever. Anyway, so he brings in the little thorns, and they're not that little. They're. No. They're pretty big. Yeah. And every time somebody gets shot with them, they immediately reach up and touch that spot. But no one ever pulls out a thorn and is like, huh. <laughs> go, Holy shit. Weird. <laughs> I just this got is shot. Really long. Yeah. Um, so that always was kind of and and like, you know, when it when it happens to Holmes and stuff, he doesn't even because it happens to him and he he reaches up and like you hear the little noise. Mm. But he he's not like, Oh shit, I've been snapped by it and I've got it. I'm gonna get drug crazy. Like he just died. everybody's like, "Oh my gosh, mosquito!" Ouch, the mosquito bite. Uh, don't you think it's kind of fucked up that when Rupert dies, uh, Holmes can't go to the funeral because he was expelled from the school? Yeah, what's up? What? With that? What's that about? It's <laughs> really shitty. Uh, but yeah, we're seeing this mystery character running around who ends up just being one of the <laughs> six businessmen. Of course, one of which was Rupert. Everyone who dies... This was, one's like Cragwitch or This is Cragwitch, yeah. And he, he doesn't die either. His scene kind of ends abruptly before we see what his fate is. But as he's hallucinating, the kids kind of hold him down and then Lestrade shows up. But that doesn't happen until later. Um, yeah, the whole hallucinating and committing suicide really just happens at the at the narrative's convenience. Well, right. Like I was saying, I mean, uh, the... The woman goes in and chooses to shoot Cragwitch with the little thorn while Holmes and Watson are right there. Yeah. I mean, if you're not going to shoot all of them, it's not going to do any good because they're just going to hold him down yeah, and exactly. stop him. It's really strange. Who, uh, I guess. But do, he attempts to run out the window like everybody else. Everybody's do reaction we ever is find to jump out, out windows. Who the, the cloaked figure is? It's the sister. It's the sister? Okay. But I don't remember how we find that out. But it is I can't the sister. remember how we find that out either, but. Yeah, I guess I guess she becomes Atar's number one assassin or her brother's number one assassin. Mm. Um and then she dies horribly. They these How does she die? Gets set on fire. Oh yeah. When when Holmes takes the blowgun, like as she's like trying to shoot him with the blowgun, he blows into the other side and shoots it into the back of her throat. Oh. And then she stumbles into some fire, <laughs> gets ignited and runs away. That's terrible. Um, I'm just gonna say these on this adventure of the lifetime that these kids have, 
they kill a lot of people. <laughs> I mean, they just flat murder some motherfuckers. Yeah, they do. They do. Did uh, did the Harry Potter kids ever actually <laughs> murder anybody? Like, okay, I, of anyway. course, at the end, Harry ends up killing Voldemort. Yeah, they're but, in like a war, and they're yeah, but that's a different thing. I know some of the the kids die, and some professors die at, at the end of those books. I don't remember. I don't think they. It, I don't think so. I, I mean, maybe people like maybe people, people like accidentally well, like, die. Well, that's to, what like, I mean. Like incidentally, like they they find the rebuilt pyramid that's underneath a underneath. I don't I don't even know like location wise. It's kind of strange, but they find a pyramid in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where is that pyramid? Exactly? I don't know, but they, they it looks they like built it's out it in the street, just tall enough that the top has to peek through the floorboards of a shop. Right. So like they go up into the attic of a shop and then below that they see like the top of the pyramid and they fall through the floor and it's like it's kind of in a back alley. But how can you even hide that in London? No less. It's huge. Like it's a huge pyramid. Yeah. I don't know. The whole. But they the, bring that thing down like the the whole thing collapses <laughs> and like incidentally a lot of people die in this movie. I don't know. Did that ever happen in the. In the Harry Potter stories, I, I don't. I, not that I recall. I mean, at least not quite. Certainly, no one was ever shot with a gun and died. in the back of their throat. Oh, wait. oh, oh we, yeah. I was talking about Elizabeth, the, but yes, that also gun that gun yeah. too. Also, no, no fetuses under the train station benches. Of, do you remember that? What weird train station fetus Voldemort under the bench in one of the last movies? Where he's in like the dream train station. We're talking yes, about yes, fucking Harry yes, Potter yes, now. Yes, Why don't I we just remember. do Harry Potter for popcorn poops? Yeah, we will at some point. I mean, they're fun movies. Uh, so we see Holm, or Sherlock Holmes here gets his his iconic hat. He doesn't actually wear it until the very, very end of the movie and kind of collects all of the pieces of what I love the way Watson iconic. says that. Like the way he delivers some of these lines. No, take it off. It's very silly. Like <laughs> like some of some of the stuff he says, I I really think because this is a kid here. He's not he's not that old. The the actor who's playing him. Right. Mm-hmm. He can't be that old. And I think he does a fantastic job with it. I think he pulls it off really well. He pulls off Watson really well. This um, this uh, whole thing happens a couple of times throughout the story, and, and that is that the narration <laughs> crops up and tells us something mm-hmm. that's happening on screen that we can see happening, but even worse, it explains to us what people are talking about in the scene mm-hmm. instead yeah. of just letting the characters tell us by talking to each other about it. Yep. It's like they'll start explaining something and having a conversation and then Watson's voice will crop in and be like, and this is the, what we said during this conversation. Yep. Like the what? point where they were doing research and then and then uh, and Holmes, he's like, listen to this. And then the narration starts up and it's like, Holmes told me that. And I'm like, why, <laughs> it's like, why, didn't, why didn't you just let him talk, man? <laughs> just, God, we were right there. Was it really such bad dialogue that, that you had to... You had to talk over it. I don't know. I don't. I don't think the dialogue writing in this movie. Is no, all that I don't bad. think I don't, so either. It, it just seems really strange. I know that. Uh, here's the wand maker in Diagon Alley. <laughs> For real. <laughs> is this you or this is no? This, this the inter- is me. Is this is yeah, you? It's just me. I'm just <laughs> fucking around. But it, I don't know. It's kind of valid. Oh no! One thing I did read online: uh, the serpents. Uh, in the the two intertwined serpents that Wraith used to write his letter, the symbol on oh yeah, the symbol of the of oh my god, right, 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 that's right? unbelievable. Right? Like now that you've told me that this is a thing on the I internet, mean, look at those I didn't scarves. even know that. I, right, 
Like now that you've told me that this is a thing on the internet that people talk about, it's I didn't at least know a thing that. From, like, I, I found at least one article, and my apologies to the person because I didn't I didn't look up the the name and write down the citation for it. But there was at least one decently well well a well written article where they were breaking it down and writing a bunch of the conspiracy stuff that people have found. Well, this is um, so it's something people talk about. I, I guess we're about. We're not quite halfway through the movie, but we're almost there. And I would say that it's uh, probably a good time to stop talking about Harry Potter because I think that it very distinctly switches from being a Harry Potter movie to being ah. to being a young Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones movie. Yes, it does. <laughs> Temple of Doom came out in 1984. Oh, did it? Right before this movie. Oh, my God. Yeah. I think that's pretty transparent. Yeah, it's really transparent, actually. Um, Which I don't... Okay, I've, 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 I have to say, um, I've never watched any of the Young Indiana Jones TV show. Have Have you? Have you ever seen any of the the TV show? Uh, no, I haven't. Have you? No, no, no you no. haven't. Uh, aren't there books too? Uh, yeah, but like young adult books. Yeah, I think so. But I think, um, I, I mean, maybe they came after the TV show. Okay, maybe I, I don't know that well. Yeah, but the, I think that this this very much becomes kind of young Indiana Jones and the Pyramid of Doom. Actually, I think that that was a subtitle for this movie in some international markets was young Pyramid Sh- of Fear. Pyramid of Fear. Mm-hmm. Young Sherlock Holmes and the Pyramid of Fear. That's an Indiana Jones title. Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I mean, Pyramid of Fear isn't really that different from Temple of Doom. So. So th- yeah, exactly. This this is like I said before. This isn't a very good Sherlock Holmes story because primarily Sherlock Holmes isn't his logic is kind of flawed and weird and not he's not a very smart character in this movie. If you really mm-hmm. think about the decisions he makes and some of the well, I the mean, deductive reasoning. That's absolutely true. Some of some of the stuff he does. Uh, like, like he has a lot of specific information about things. Like yeah. it, at one point, he's talking about the 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 weft of certain threads, which is it has to do with like how it's woven and stuff, yeah. and, and 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 how only this type type of material could only come from Froggit and Froggit, and that's how they got to to that shop. But but anyways, like he has really the, the narration is doing it again. Holmes explained. Holmes went on to explain that blah 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 yeah. blah. Yeah. Yeah, this was the scene I was talking about specifically. Um, like, he has really specific information like that. Like, he points at Watson. He's like, those boots can only be... I've only seen those up in the north where they're made and what blah, blah, sure. blah. So you're from the north. But he isn't particularly smart. I mean, the first time they go into the pyramid and they see the girl all wrapped up, he runs out and screams, "He, she's alive! Like, and then, of course, they chase them trying to kill them. right. Like, what did he think was going to happen? I, I, f- I feel like the story tries to fix all that by by telling us early on that Holmes' one big flaw is that he's emotional. So that, okay. So, okay. so that when things happen, and, and Watson even brings it up later when, when Holmes gets really upset that he can't think of anything, Watson says, you're flustered. You can't think of anything because you're flustered. And, and Holmes says, well, you think of something. He says, I'm flustered, too. I can't think of anything. I'm upset. I don't know what to do. Yeah. So they they established that that Sherlock Holmes is is his one weakness in this movie is that he gets emotional sometimes. I don't know and if that, that we're and that after he deals with the death of of his true love, that right? When he's he goes gonna, through like the most harrowing thing that right, could he's going to become completely cold and calculating. Exactly. Even they, I I forget who it was. Maybe it was the director who 
made the comment where he was talking about he wrote or he did this movie maybe it was the screenwriter i don't know if it chris was columbus, columbus who, who go ahead who directed the first two harry potter movies yeah uh-huh, yeah <laughs> anyway so it, i don't know if it was him or if it was it was levinson maybe it was levinson who said that basically this movie came out of a desire to describe why holmes became that cold calculating sure. guy yeah and they gave a reason for it, and I mean, and it's that's this fine. Like, I, I don't think that that's a problem. That he his his weak <coughs> his weakness of being emotional sometimes uh, is like his personal conflict, and it keeps him from being the smartest character he can be. But when he even when he is being smart, like when he should be able to reason things out. I feel smarter than him. Like, I know that this is young Sherlock Holmes, and I know he's still a kid, but... I would Sherlock- expect young Sherlock Holmes to be way smarter than adult Jessica. Exactly. Like, that's that's how I feel about Sherlock Holmes as a character, is that I think that even as a child, he should be more clever than I am and be able to reason better than I do. But, like, I mean, and this is this is the fault of, of the writing, but the fact that, like I, like I said, Professor Wraith chose the name Wraith and it's just his real name backwards. And Moriarty he, wouldn't do that. Moriarty's no, too smart exactly. for that. Exactly. And then at the end, we get a we get a little stinger after the credits that you know lets us know that this guy Atar, who eventually became Wraith and threw away his old life, and once he gets discovered, you know, running this Rametep thing, this Rametep cult, mm-hmm. um, then he throws that life away and becomes who we know as Professor James <laughs> Moriarty. That's what happens in the stinger. But Moriarty's smarter than that. He wouldn't be like, what's a good new name? Oh, my name backwards. After he sends a letter to the six people that he swears revenge against. And this is... Um, signed ATAR. Right. And this is and this is not child Moriarty. This is an adult yes. Moriarty. Yeah. That, that, unfortunately, is one of the things about this movie that, that I'm not a fan of. How would Holmes not get that right away? Like, he's got the information in front of him. He's He knows his... Uh, Rupert's last words were ATAR. He knows that. And he knows his professor's well, name. Well, Watson makes a joke of it about at the end. Like, he... what You remember when Watson he, points what, he, at the door and he's like, how did he miss the door? Or maybe we're about, we're about to have that moment right. right now. Watson's about to walk by a door and he's going to go... He's going to go, Holmes, there there was a door. How did he miss the door? And it's this this comment that, which is very true to the characters, I think, that Watson that the is, so, is not as smart as Holmes. And right. Holmes sometimes needs someone who is a few notches down so that he can see the obvious things. It, and, and, of course, they don't need the door. They, they wind up using the better way to get in. Sure. But but Watson makes the comment at the end where he's like, it's just it's just Atar spelled backwards. And Holmes is like, oh, I would have figured that out eventually. <laughs> oh, ev- eventually I would have come but to that. But <laughs> sure, I'm sure that's commentary on Holmes misses some of the obvious things because he's too preoccupied dealing with his incredible genius brain. Um, but that's not, that's not what I'm talking about right now. The thing that upsets so, so, me... So is this now uh, officially, since it's Temple of Doom now, mm. is this now Indiana Jones, Short Round, and, oh, what's her name? It's not Charlie. It's from, like a man's from name from Temple of Doom. Temple. Uh, Kate Capshaw's character's name. Uh, I think it's Charlie or something like that. It's like a man's name. I can't remember. I don't remember. It's been a while since But what I've were you saying? Um, uh, I was saying about something else and then you made me think I'm of Temple sorry. of Doom. <laughs> That's happened a couple times this episode already. Yeah, thank you. Um I was trying to talk about Moriarty. What I was saying about Moriarty is that my problem, one of my big problems with this is that one of to me one of the 
things that's so fun about Holmes and Moriarty, the the thing that is so fun about Holmes and Moriarty, and I think the BBC show captures this perfectly, is that they are essentially exactly the same, but for one small difference. And that one small difference is that Moriarty has no human connection. He has no humanity, essentially. Right. He doesn't care if uh, the world burns. Right. Right? Sure. Um, He's the Joker. Yeah, he doesn't care. He just is incredibly intelligent, and all he wants to do is just test that intelligence and see what he, how far he can get. Whereas Holmes is not so... I mean, he's pretty much the same guy, except that Watson specifically pulls him back down to earth and makes him makes him human and and Holmes is also obsessed with with justice with finding justice as was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle himself mm. um but but because of that uh it, it creates this incredible parallel between our villain and our hero because we know they're equals right and and it's not about them them being so different but being so much alike that that it's a game it really is Mm -hmm. a game to them and i don't feel that in this moriarty's just a bad guy he's just a dick what what does sherlock holmes steal off of this guy right here i can't remember (laughs) what 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 comes of that Mm. he's just stole something off of one of the guards and i can't remember what he does with it i don't know but he's a really good pickpocket huh yeah, yeah, he's really, really great at that. He's played a bunch of Assassin's Creed, I think. <laughs> uh, so we're inside this this pyramid, and we've got all of these people chanting, and I like the music in this scene, and it's very, very Temple of Doom, oh, like yeah. so insanely. Oh God, Temple isn't of Doom. this awful with the it boiling, is boiling water liquid stuff being poured on poured on this girl? Um, this is, um, and I guess much like Temple of Doom, um, it's really racist. Yeah. Like I really kind of hate how uh and this is this is, people complain about Temple of Doom in the same way. Like it, it really uh vilifies. Cem- vilifies and cements the concept of the other or the scary foreigner. Mm-hmm. Like in yeah. you know, they, they, they kind of fix it a little or try to mitigate it a bit by saying that they're they're religious zealots or extremists or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. Um, but the one of the bigger problems I have with this movie's cultural appropriation of, you know, <coughs> e- Egyptian, uh, I guess, imagery or, or these people are supposed to be from Egypt is that all of them are white. Like you want to appropriate the cult, like what they do is they appropriate this culture, they appropriate uh, ideas and imagery from this culture, but then everybody they cast in it is white because, you know, the character of Wraith is Anglo-Egyptian and he kind of builds this cult from, you know. Well, they're in London. Because people, right, exactly. There are people in, there are people in London. That's fine. But I don't know. I, that that doesn't forgive no, it, it to it, me. No, it drives me. Well, and it's it drives not just me that, yeah. but it drives me crazy because I, I am not able to suspend my disbelief far enough to believe that that these people who are not Egyptian right. can be so devoted that they would kill people for this religion. Exactly. Like, and what what do they say? They justify it later in the movie by saying something about um, the people who are in this cult who are all white as hell. Yeah. They they are the lost souls of the London streets, the poor and the homeless. Right. Right. Okay. So we're supposed to believe that just because they're poor and homeless. Now, here's another problem. 
that they're because they're poor and homeless. That's a that's reason enough to believe that they are dumb enough to fall into because, of course, your you know financial status determines your intelligence and your gullibility. <laughs> so they're dumb enough to fall into into this this cult. cult. But I mean, like the way the way I'm talking about it is. That's it, so frustrating. These people. We've got zombies. We've got zombies. We do have zombies. That's good. Um, these people who who are converted into this cultist religion. This is a a religion that is in a language that presumably they would have to transliterate before they could even try and translate to sure, read. Sure. Sure. I mean, the chanting that they're doing, the accent should be horrible. I'm sorry, this this puppet that's carving her, her tombstone is so the Tales Crypt Keeper? the Crypt, It yeah. is so the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Yeah, anyway, so, uh, I mean, like, the chanting, right? Yeah. Their action, accent should be really bad, because they're just it a should, bunch of... <laughs> they be. don't speak Arabic. I know I mean, they don't. I mean, say what you will about Temple of Doom, and it is undoubtedly super, super racist, but at least they cast people of color right, in right. that movie. Because, like, in this movie, you... you I mean, what I was getting at was that they, appo- they appropriate the culture, but then they don't cast actual Egyptian people or people from the Middle East who are sorely misrepresented or under-misrepresented in Hollywood movies already. Yeah. So you take the culture, but you don't give, you know, people from that culture their due. Like, and I'm not trying to defend Temple of Doom at all. I'm not because it is (laughs) kind of like when the Lord of the Rings just, you know, goes as we've as we've talked about before, where Mm. they just mess with with uh, size effects. Instead of exactly, hiring yeah, they they use they hobbits. use they use force perspective instead of you know hiring little people like they did and like you know we praised Willow for that. They hired a ton of little people to fill those roles, and it really adds to the verisimilitude of that movie. Like it really helps it. I think it elevates it in yeah. a great way, and you represent little people who are again sorely underrepresented in Hollywood. Yeah, and this I think it's just kind of unforgivable in this movie. Oh, I love this crazy. scene. I remember this from childhood. All the little so, stop motion. So pastries and stuff trying to stuff themselves into Watson's mouth you know we were talking before we started recording and I I think it's great that we do this because you know we get some good characterization uh, through these hallucinations because it's obviously things that these characters fear well I mean you have to if you're giving one one show for each of these characters of what do they see when they're drugged and and it's a drug that affects them in in a fear way that it's right, affecting it's, what yeah, they're right, exactly. like it's characterization it's pure sure. characterization uh, for for Watson we saw that he kind of has a problem with overeating and, and right. we've we've kind of said something earlier in the story where Holmes mentions the fact that he loves custard I think they kind of rag on him a little too they, much though even some of the professors make some little yeah, they, comments they rag about on him being pudgy. and there's there's some there's some fat shaming and stuff yeah, going on which it's, I which cool. I don't like but like I, the fact that it's part of his psychology I think right. is illustrated well in that scene however in the as I understand it in the books Holmes is the one that has a quote, and I'm, I'm using air quotes, quote unquote, substance abuse, right, if we'll yeah. call it that problem. And I think that <laughs> that or another kind of sneaky way to, you know, sneak that into Holmes's character could have been interesting, but they give it to Watson instead. And what we get from Holmes, which we just It's saw. actually pretty great, I think. Mm. But you, you, No, go what, ahead, go ahead. So what we see from Holmes, his hallucination <laughs> is that it's, I don't know if this is in the books either, but it's clear that... His father was having an affair, 
And Holmes, as a very young man, used deductive reasoning to discover that his father was having an affair and basically ruined his parents' relationship, ruined their marriage. And his father blames him. And it's obvious that Holmes kind of blames himself for using his gift, uh, his, you know, his intelligence and his, his talent for reasoning to basically break up his family. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of brilliant. I yeah, love that. It is. I don't. I don't know that it's in. I. I don't the books, know. Though. I didn't look it up, and it's not anything that that I've read before, so I don't know. And I love the set they used too. It was really like, uh, like a very dr- like dramatic, as in you know, theatrical, yes. like th- theater, real theater, simplistic set. Mm-hmm. Um, but like with cobwebs and stuff on on the people to sure. show you it's from the past. It was really cool. It was a nice. Now, however, though, we got characterization from those two. And what do we get from Elizabeth? What is she afraid of? Dying. Ah. And OK, <coughs> it's foreshadowing. That's right, fine. It is, it is foreshadowing. So it does have kind of a, a place in the narrative in a way. But it's also kind of shitty because the other two characters get really interesting things, like interesting, uh, uh, I guess, touchstones for their individual psyches and and what they're going through mentally and where they come from mentally. Um, But hers is just like everybody's afraid of death. Right. Yeah. It's nothing. It means nothing. Yeah. But besides the foreshadowing, but we do get zombies. Nothing. We do get zombies. This is another little plot hole right here. Um, Lestrade still won't start this investigation, despite the fact that he walked in and said that the groundskeeper of the graveyard is going to drop the charges for them breaking into the graveyard when he caught Holmes fighting a crazy like yeah, and guard couldn't they guy? like show them the temple underneath the warehouse? They be could, like, well, if if they refuse to go look, that's one thing. But it's clear that Lestrade just talked to the groundskeeper, who w- more than likely would have told him, yeah, there was this crazy bald guy with a sword, and he was fighting this right. kid, and the kid was obviously de- defending himself, but I shot my gun at him, and you know I wanted press charges, and they had to convince him otherwise. Is that not enough to be like, okay, crazy bald guy with a sword? Maybe there's something mm, to this. Yeah. That sounds like not normal. Yeah. This, uh, we, we missed it, but just a second ago was uh, the very quick shot that was our hint for this week. And I guess it was too tough because nobody got it. Which one was it? Um, it was the shot uh, when when uh, Holmes dumps out the thorns onto Lestrade's desk. It's that shot right there. Okay. Um, but yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> nobody got it. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll try to make them easier. Although someone got next week's, uh, and we'll mention what movie that is at the end of this episode. Um, oh, we did. Also, when they got picked up by the police, we got we got some exposition there that felt kind of random, where um, uh, uh, we, they mentioned the four young girls who mysteriously disappeared last month. And you're just like, oh, okay, well, I guess that ties into the princesses who said who said that? I, it was it was holmes i think okay did he say it to lestrade yeah okay because th- and that was another thing that i wanted to talk about a little bit <laughs> is that we hear a whole bunch about the the four guys dying like them you know because atar is getting his revenge on these guys and the way he's doing that is by shooting them with these thorns and making them hallucinate and killing them although it doesn't actually kill everyone that it hallucinates but we've said that we've already gone over that in detail so it's kind of a stupid way to kill the people that you're trying to kill because maybe it won't actually kill them. Whatever. Uh, we hear about those guys disappearing and dying all over the place, but then we re- then we find out that they're they've also like ca- kidnapped and kid- killed these girls, and we don't hear anything about. Yeah, that. no, we just got like the the briefest mention of it just a second ago in in that police station. I f- I feel like 
you know, this office, the story, like the way the story is written, it missed a really obvious opportunity for ATAR's brilliant plan to be getting revenge on the six businessmen, or it couldn't have been, it may have just been five. By taking their daughters or something? By taking their daughters or taking their wives or taking people that are important to them, like important people were taken from him. Yeah, that makes sense. And replacing the princesses with those people. Like, you don't have to kill those men, just take the people that are important to them, and it would be a parallel. Like, that makes more sense, but instead, it, they, they the story treats it like it's two different things. Like, okay, we're going to kill these guys just to kill them, but then we're also going to take these random girls. And it doesn't give the importance necessary to the fact that the girls are disappearing and, and being killed that it does to the men dying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it feels really imbalanced and like, you know, the well, story is Well, it's like an afterthought. Like, it's like, oh, yeah, it, by the it, way, it, those it girls were, they were kidnapped last night. It month, is absolutely right? an afterthought. Like that plot point that this they totally have. This totally ties into those girls That they have to replace month. the princesses is, is just like, oh, and by the way, we're also killing girls. Yeah, yeah, whatever. It's re- it's really strange, right? Like, yeah. like they yeah. there's there was a missed opportunity there. Here we got our, I, I don't know if he's he's said it. Yeah, I think he has already said it. Where where Moriarty at this moment he is Wraith. Um, yeah, Moriarty. <laughs> uh, he's he's. We get our first hint at who he is by him making the comment to Holmes. We share the same keen powers of observation. You know, which is telling of him being Moriarty. But unfortunately, like I said before, I don't think they really follow through on that. I don't really feel like they are equals. Um, uh. Maybe at fencing their equals, I guess. But yeah. But anyways, yeah. They're it. I I'm just not. I'm not thrilled with it the way that. Oh, the other the other thing here. Uh, and here is a a connection to the last movie that we did, Wizard of Oz. They threatened to take her dog to the pound. They're gonna oh, take her no. take away her little dog to be destroyed. Yeah. And. <laughs> And no one reacts to it except for Elizabeth, who's like, what What, what the fuck are you talking about? Why are you going to take my dog? Holmes is like, I don't care. <laughs> I don't have any relationship and to they're like, Uncas the dog. They're like, the dogs aren't supposed to be, you aren't supposed to have dogs at school. And I'm like, why are we, what did, I mean, you just gave away that you're a bad guy because you're going to mm. hurt an animal or take a girl's animal away. And they're like, no one reacts to it. And and they're just like, oh, they're just doing what's best for us. But suddenly they want to take this dog away that she's had on campus for forever. Also, why does she live there? Well, now especially. I, I mean, they, they established I, her, earlier. Her parents are dead, so well, her she parents, lives with her uncle. Her parents died, so she moved on campus to live with her uncle. But now that her uncle's dead, why is she still there? Well, and not just that, but okay, great. She moved to live with her uncle, but I guess she they just can't afford to send her to school. Why isn't she in a boarding school, too? Or is yeah. this before girls normally went to school? I don't know. She seems of a class that she would be. Exactly, right? She would be in Ed- a, in, educated a, in or... like some kind of school. Maybe she's older. Maybe she's like 18 and she's finished school. How long, why... how long ago did they say that she showed up with her pa- after know. her parents died, I though? Remember. I don't know that they said. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This movie, <laughs> like, I do think it's a lot of fun, and 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 I guess I qualify, uh, I qualify this as being a, as an excellent oh, adventure. Right here, oh, uh, we get a little kiss. Well, we get a kiss, and Watson, Watson, uh, very accordingly says, "This is too much." <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Watson. Yes, it is. Uh, I have to qualify saying that this is an excellent little adventure movie by saying it's an excellent little kids adventure movie. Mm. 
Uh, because if you think about the plot for more than like five minutes, you'll get an aneurysm and be like, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. I This is something um, that isn't just in this movie, but in any anything I ever read with, with Holmes and Watson. Whenever Holmes tells Watson that he needs him, <laughs> I always assume that he's just manipulating Watson. Yeah, because there's like a there's like I need a, you, Watson. I need you right, right. now to there's do this. Like, there's a, there's there's definitely like a sociopathic swing mm-hmm. to Sherlock Holmes and his particular oh, yeah, brand of genius. Um, so yeah, you 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 get the feeling that when he says those kinds of things to Watson that seem a bit uh, uncharacteristic of a person mm-hmm. like that, you're like, oh, he's kind of manipulating him, and that's that's fucked up. It's kind of messed up. Yeah, yeah, I don't like that. Yeah, Holmes. <laughs> But yeah, so oh, now, oh, oh, we just missed it. The moment where, yeah. where Holmes says, you can get up now, Watson, the war's over. I mean, you get, that's a reference to how Watson is later going to be a medical doctor in multiple I battles, didn't. I didn't know that. No, you don't know that about Watson's no, character. I told you, I don't know. But you've watched the BBC show, and he's uh, but I, a. I know he's a he's a war doctor. Right. I know he, he's a, he is, he's a military doctor in, in the books too. He's war a doctor. He's a, a surgeon and a physician for the British Army in India and the Sanglo, Second Anglo-Afghan War. Yeah, I know in the TV show he was in like Afghanistan or Iraq mm-hmm. or something like that. It, it I think. fits. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I guess I, I had forgotten about that. I didn't realize that the television show was adapting it that closely. I just yeah. thought that was an interesting Yeah, that's pretty good with the TV show, that's cool. too. That's cool. That's very nice. Uh, we do discover here, uh, or it is revealed, that Cragwitch is not, in fact, a villain, but one of the six businessmen that uh, is having revenge enacted on him. I think he's the last living one. Is that mm-hmm. right? Okay, okay. So here, right here, she's about to shoot him, and he's going to react and then it's, oh, mosquitoes, got to clean this place, whatever. <laughs> um, and Holmes doesn't react. They just went through this. Shouldn't they be like, I mean, if he's as smart as he's supposed to be, then they should be on top of it. Yeah, exactly. That's an, that's another <laughs> thing is they're standing right there and he says, no, you've just got shot. Someone's in this room. Yeah. You know? And also those thorns are huge. You would pull it. You would pull it again, out of your neck. Again, those thorns are huge. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah, when he starts hallucinating here, uh, it takes him all of like 10 seconds to get the fuck over it. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like, I I get it. Like you've got to get on with the scene, but we've established that these hallucinations are powerful and they last And all they got to do is just like say his name, but then he does fall back into it. He does. He does kind of fall Um, into it. I, I made the same kind of note earlier when, uh, our first guy, the, the, pheasant guy the guy who was eating the roast i don't know if it was pheasant or chicken or whatever i think it was like a little pheasant um he it took him a minute for the drug to react because he had time to go sit down and have his food brought to him and and like he reacted then and then he went back home and reacted more but the old man in the in the church he like got shot looked up at the window looked back down, looked back up at the window and was already like super hallucinating. And and in that moment I was just like, well, I guess he's really old and he's scrawny compared to the to the big old boy who got shot in the yeah. first scene. There, I mean, there are definitely but, consistency issues. But with. it just it was so fast in comparison and this one is too. Yeah. I agree. Absolutely. Um, well, the way he gets over it is so fast at least. He's already hallucinated and come out of it, hasn't he? Um I don't think I he don't has think yet. So. No, he hasn't yet. No, but but the the second guy, the old guy, hallucinated immediately, like instantly. Um, 
but it's about this guy with this guy. See, look, there's the Slytherin. Right. <laughs> it also it also looks like the, I know, what is it, the I know, medical. Um, what is it? The, 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 yeah, the, I know the medical insignia. The, yeah. I, I don't remember what it's called, but it's, yeah, it does. And I know, and it's obviously it's you know it's Egyptian symbolism and stuff. It's this is drawn. And they they did at least enough research to know uh, that. Let's 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 use the correct the correct terminology. It is appropriated okay. from. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, I, I like I like a lot of the performances in this movie. I like this guy. I think I really love all of the professors, uh, except for the one professor, the one um, chemistry professor earlier yeah. in the movie. I don't like his performance at all. Uh, and I like this guy's uh, I like this guy's performance a lot, except I really don't I really don't like. Nicholas Rose performance as he's getting choked. I I I love that Watson can't remember his name. Is Craggy Critch? Is Crickety Crag? I think this is the most outwardly bad thing in the movie. Yeah. Yeah, the performances here just don't oh, do it for me. There. But other than that, I think that they're all pretty solid. I think, especially for young actors, they get really good performances out of these guys. So, but again, Nicholas Rowe is he's not actually a kid. He's so I think this he was moment like nineteen when he made this. This moment when uh, when Lestrade comes in and and he says it took four policemen to stop him from hanging himself right yeah. because of his hallucination. That's fine. Like I know he's talking about the drugs, but to me, like I kind of chuckled at it because in my head, like he's uh, this is my stretch of it. Right. But like actually, he was hanging himself because he was so upset because of the because way that <laughs> Holmes made fun of him. <laughs> because <laughs> Holmes was right. Damn it. <laughs> And so, and so, like he goes and he starts to hang himself, and they talk him out of it, and he's like, "Fine, let's go solve the case." Uh, but he how, blames it on the drug. How exactly did Lestrade come to the conclusion that he would find Holmes at Cragwitch's anyway? Um, Holmes did give him some pictures or something with the names of the men earlier, so maybe he would have had this name. Maybe. Well, I mean, but the last time Holmes spoke to him was before he found the drawing. Okay, then yeah, I and, don't know. And he learned, and before he learned the name of Cragwich, like he he Holmes didn't even know Cragwich's I mean, name until he Lestrade found the used to work at Scotland Yard, so oh let's let's let's, okay, just, let's be fair. Let's just be fair. He's well, kind of a superhero, unless so. Lestrade is a better detective than Sherlock Holmes, mm. and he's fucking not. So come <laughs> on. <laughs> That was not a that was not a statement for you to be like, yeah, maybe he is. No, 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 he's not. Uh, why doesn't she just look away from the ring right here? Also, this is the this kind of random, like the fact that his ring hypnotizes people now. Like we saw that the ring distracted Holmes earlier and then like cut him on the cheek when they were fighting. Uh, but now the ring is magical and can hypnotize. Yeah, like, but like she's just staring at it. And then he never uses it again. Whatever. <laughs> no. Whatever. That scene was actually the first time we have ever heard the <laughs> professor's name. And as soon as his name was said, Wraith, and of course, when I watch uh, when I watch movies for popcorn poops, I watch them with subtitles on so I can get all of the dialogue and everything, yeah. and and you know uh, understand and you clearly. You don't have to rewind to be like, what they say. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so I watch with subtitles on, and that moment when uh, when Wraith or when she reveals the Mrs. Drib to be one of the. Uh, Rametet people and Mr. Wraith walks in and she says, Professor Wraith, help me or whatever she says. It pops up on the screen. And it says Wraith. And the first thing that goes through my head is that's ATAR spelled backwards. That's the first thing that went through my yeah. head. And they don't even mention it until the very, very end of the movie. Also, 
when Cragwitch explains that Atar was a child who has a sister, as soon as I saw oh, the Wraith two of is, them standing together. Right. Wraith is Atar spelled backwards, and then you see, like, right there, you see the two of them in the shot together. I'm like, well, that's Atar and his sister. But, but I mean, we are supposed to know by this point who it is. Because right here, okay. I know we're supposed to know, but the movie doesn't actually reveal that Mrs. Dribb is his younger sister, and like, until the very, very no, end no, of the movie. No, no, but right here, he knows Wraith. He knows that. That it's Wraith. He I, knows oh, I know Wraith that. is Atar. He just that. doesn't know the name. I know, but what I'm talking about is the whole sister connection. Because the movie, like, it's obvious that it's his sister, but the movie doesn't I, reveal that. I don't think that. it ever says it. It does at the very, oh, very end in, in narration, of course. Oh, okay. In Watson's narration, it's like, oh, and also it was totally his sister. Because remember that little detail? Um. Anyway, so that scene right there where, where Watson and Holmes were walking, and they were using this running metaphor of the riddle, where they've got this riddle about the bear. Right. And, and the riddle is, it is supposed to be a parallel to the mystery that they're solving. Um, something like this, usually a, a, a metaphor that runs through an entire movie like this, usually it's a sign of good writing. It's a little simplistic in, in this version, a, a little bit too transparent i think however sure um where right in that scene watson correctly guesses that the bear is white but doesn't know why and mm-hmm. holmes responds with answers without evidence or useless and then holmes immediately realizes that wraith is atar yeah but he doesn't know why uh he doesn't know how that connection comes Works, to be yeah. Um, and he has he has no evidence to prove it, so it's useless. Just like Watson's yeah. answer, like it's there's it's some a parallels good me- there that work, metaphor, right. which is like I said, a sign of good writing. But however, a little a little transparent. Isn't so. this just a magical moment when they oh, get the yeah when they get the flying car and they're going to crash it into oh into my a tree? God. Or I mean, it could be like a dragon or something too. Whatever. I hate you. <laughs> I should have never brought it up. The, the Harry Potter. You didn't we should bring have, it up. I was the first. I, I brought it up myself. You, you brought. That's that's true. But before we, you said a oh word. Oh In the first scene, when he gets out of the carriage and he gets off at at the boarding school, and I'm just like, oh my god, Harry Potter. I mean, if you if you take away anything from this episode, if you're if you miss Harry Potter, watch this movie because you're gonna get you're gonna get yeah. a Harry Potter movie yeah. out of it for sure. Absolutely. Uh, so we're we're coming up into I guess this is the last act of the film. They're chasing down uh, Wraith, who has Elizabeth, and he's taking her to the to the pyramid to be wrapped up and and burned, I guess, with the boiling water, so they can do the ceremony on her. So she is she is officially turned into the damsel in distress. They must be really really high in the air because they almost crashed into Big Ben, <laughs> and Big Ben is not a misnomer because that shit's fucking huge. So they're they're way up there. Um, but yeah, they they don't crash into a tree. No, no, though. no. I was I was being sarcastic. Like I was I was joking about where, this being the car. Where it's not are they actually? Because the they do crash into a. <laughs> is it a lake or a is it the ocean pond or something? A pond or something? Yeah, but they they crash Rupert's flying machine. I don't think the ocean freezes in London. I don't think the ocean freezes. Does the ocean freeze anywhere? I guess it does in the Arctic Circle, of course. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> and here we've got we've got Wraith dressed up in his costume, and he looks positively silly. It is. It is silly. Um. So so right here, 
I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, and it has nothing to do with this scene, but just about, I think it's interesting the way they deal with women in this movie. Um, interesting is an interesting way to put it. Because they don't really do anything with it. However, that is kind of a step up from from the way Holmes himself treats women in the books. Yeah. Um, Holmes, like, quotably has an aversion to women. Yeah. Uh, he some of some of the things he's in some of the books that he says are things like women are never to be entirely trusted, not the best of them. The motives of women so inscrutable. How can you believe how can you build on such quicksand? Their most trivial actions may mean volumes. Their most extraordinary conduct may depend upon a hairpin or curling tongs. Oh, my God. Yeah, He's really not a fan of the ladies. That's yeah. Okay. <laughs> which has multiple meanings here. Um, but. But I just, which which I don't think is really representative of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle himself. I mean, his dying words were, you are wonderful, speaking about his wife. So, Aww. yeah, so I'm not I'm not saying anything about him, but at least Holmes, the character, um, was not a fan of women at all. And however, that doesn't really fit into this backstory because, like, if she betrayed him or something... And that's how he became the cold, calculating guy that he is. Like, if it turned out that she was the sister of Atar or something like that this mm-hmm. whole time, and that she was part of of the whole plot to get him expelled from school and whatever, like, that would make me understand. But it, it doesn't really fit into the character of Holmes, which, again, they apologize for it two times. They don't expect this to be a true-to-canon story. Sure. Um, but... But anyways, though, I mean, we have to take into account the fact that Holmes's relationship with women specifically in the books is is a major aspect of his characterization that is is often critiqued. Yeah. And and it's notably absent from this and replaced with something really um, trivial and schmaltzy, even shallow. Yeah, it is. I, I agree. Um, I have a bit of a problem with the fact that uh, Wraith is willing to kill young girls and old men for his big revenge scheme. Mm. But why didn't he just kill Holmes and Watson when he had a chance? Like when 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 he discovered that they were, you know, sneaking around digging into all this kind of stuff. And I guess it's before they found out that he was directly involved. But. Well, I mean, if this is Moriarty and we're talking about Moriarty, then Moriarty doesn't want Holmes to die. He he needs Holmes. He needs him to be there to, but to this be is, his counterpoint. Okay, this is before that though. Let's let's be fair. Wraith doesn't Wraith doesn't really respect Holmes in that way. Like there there is kind which of which I think is a failing of this of this. Well, movie. absolutely. Like I I think that they turn what respect Moriarty has for Holmes and I, that mutual respect they turn it into like a teacher student kind of thing. Yeah. Um, which is fine, I guess. Like it's I, a, well, I still I think that it's appropriate that enough. He for doesn't the movie. want him. He doesn't want Holmes to die. Holmes to die. I mean, clearly he's the one who helped uh, Dudley forge the handwriting so that Holmes would be expelled from school. I right. mean, he's got. They don't ever say it, but he has to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if that's the case, then he was just trying to get him out of the picture because he knew he was getting too close. But I don't think he wanted him to die because I think he does. He does respect what he does. He likes him. 
Yeah. Um, however, though, at the end, that's kind of turned on its head when he tries to shoot Holmes to kill him. Right. He tries to shoot Holmes. And not only that, but he leaves him to die, like, in the in the pyramid mm-hmm. and he fights him and all that kind of stuff. Like, it's obvious that he, at, after a certain point, he's trying to kill Holmes. But, you know, up up to that point, he had been killing the old men and, and killing but the young girls. But I think he didn't want to kill Holmes. I think that's why. is because he was yeah, trying to find a way around doing that. He was trying to just get him out of the picture. He even gave him a second chance by trying to send him away after him and Watson got caught. Yeah. Um, he tried to send him away because I don't think he wanted him to have to die. Look at this destruction that's happening. They killed so many people inside this pyramid. They did. So many people died. Incidentally, of course, but, you know, they still died. And this is the, <laughs> this is the scene where uh, uh, Sherlock gets to fight uh, Miss Dribb and does, some, does, does a, just a terrible thing to her. Just... When she's, I guess yeah, they're, it's they're right here in the scene. Grappling they're, right now, they're for struggling the... in the scene, and she's going to try to blow this thorn into his into his face, and he just blew it into her throat. Oh, that's so terrible! Oh, it's awful. Isn't that awful? It is. It's brutal. That's brutal. Like, I guess appropriately, <laughs> like like Indiana Jones. Like Indiana yeah. Jones has some some kind of scary, grotesque stuff yeah. in it because it's, you know. It's an adventure movie with a little bit of edge. Like, it's a family movie, I mean, but how movie, could you but... not love this? Okay, like, I know we're... Right now, unfortunately, we are in the part of this movie that is is the downfall of this movie. We're having to deal with this messy plot that... that Doesn't pops really up here make at the a end, whole lot of sense. That's kind, kind of all over the place. And kind of racist and kind of just... And, and our emotions are hinged upon a girl who we don't care about and, like... Like, unfortunately, we're at that point in the movie right now where, the, where it kind of falls apart a little bit. Yeah. Um, but, uh, however, though, setting setting that aside, how can you not love this movie when it is sort of an adaptation of two of, of the really cool things that we love in modern movies? Yeah. Like, two, two series that we love. Well, it's not an adaptation. Sure. One of them is... I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a prequel, it, essentially, it, it is, too. It is a much, prequel, it is a much better... Uh, yeah, proto, I guess. Um, it is a much better Harry Potter movie and then a much better Indiana Jones movie than it ever is a Sherlock Holmes movie. Yes, yes, very true. But, I mean, how the Harry Potter movies are so fun. And Indiana Jones, oh my God, I love Indiana Jones. Yeah. So kind of converging those two ideas and putting them together with Sherlock Holmes, it's it's inevitably going to be fun. Right. And it is. It's a fun movie. It, they're fun characters because your source material. I go back to this so much when I watch movies. If your source material is great, it's really hard to mess it up. Right. Well, it's not really hard, I mean, unfortunately, yeah. but it, it should be if you're really faith- hard if, to if mess you're, it up. If you're faithful and you're and you manage to capture the spirit of something, yeah. Then you know the 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 plot itself, plot holes and whatnot, be damned. If you've got good characterization and you've managed to capture the the spirit of something that is beloved for good reason, uh, because of its spirit and its heart, then I think that you've got something special. And I think at the end of the day, this movie captures that stuff. Right. This we've movie, got characters that are already well loved, that mm-hmm. are already well developed, without them really having to do yeah. a lot because we know who these people are. Yeah. And I, I told you this. Uh, you know, before we were recording, but had I watched this as a child, I would have loved the shit out of this movie. Yeah, because it wasn't part of my childhood. I've said that before, but um, 
but it wasn't a part of my childhood. But watching it even as an adult, I I would have adored this movie so much. And I did. So um, yeah, someday when we have kids, this will be in their, uh, I guess, in in their library. <laughs> yeah, of course. I think it is fun. I think it is still a lot of fun. The problems it has aren't aren't so great that um, that I don't still love it. I do still love this movie. I love it. It makes me happy when I watch it. It makes me feel good. I love, oh, God, just the music. I love the theme. Oh, by the way, the music, um, he, uh, th- it got nominated for a Grammy. Oh, okay, and cool. And it, it won a Saturn Award. Oh, Saturn? okay, Saturn cool. Award? Excellent. That's great, and deservedly so. I think it's, it really is a great score. <laughs> and the, the, the theme especially, the main theme. That we're that hearing can, right now. It cannot be understated. It is so memorable. It's yeah. a really, really great, great theme. Um, and we do get, uh, I guess this is kind of the culmination of Watson's character as, you know, a, a, a burgeoning, uh, I guess, nascent detective, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, because he gets, he figures out how to save Sherlock Holmes and he uses this whole rig. He rigs up this thing where he ties the rope to the chandelier and then takes the other side that has a grappling hook and he hooks it onto the wagon of Wraith who is escaping and it, you know, pulls up Holmes and at the same time, uh, ends up pulling the, the wagon off away from the horse and they get to save Elizabeth for the time being, (laughs) you know, Doyle himself, uh, personally investigated two closed cases where two men wound up being, uh, what's the word, exonerated? Yeah. For, oh, wow, for excellent. Their crimes. That's cool. So he, I he didn't was, Doyle, I think, was Sherlock Holmes. Well. Dare I say. Some, uh, I, you told me something about someone. Yeah, well, tell, tell me about well, what you told me before we recorded. The, about the thing dude. is, I mean, he, well, he's Holmes and he's Watson, of course. Every author is the characters that they're writing to, to some degree. Sure. Um, but... But he he was a himself. He was a physician. Doyle was a physician and an author, and he often cites the um, the creation of Holmes. He often cites it to uh, cited it to a surgeon that he worked for as a clerk for a time, and his name was Joseph Bell. Mm-hmm. And um, he, for a long time, he cited it to him and to some another another physician or surgeon too. But anyways, at one point, Bell wrote to him. And I love this quote. He wrote to him and he was like, you are yourself Sherlock Holmes and well, you know it. <laughs> sort of like, stop, stop pushing this off on me, man. Let's don't, don't not bury joke the lead. around. Let's, let's be real about this. This is all you. But yeah, he was a little, a little bit of a detective himself too. And he was um, really serious about justice. So this, as is Holmes. starting here, this is the... Last of three movies that I think uh, in spirit kind of make up this movie. The first, of course, being, you know, the Harry Potter franchise, especially the film franchise, because I think visually it, 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 it is, you know, pretty closely resembling that franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, Indiana Jones. And finally, with this last swashbuckling sequence, uh, I think this what, looks like Hook. Movie? Really? I think it looks Hook? like Hook. Oh my gosh! If you don't know this fact, then you're gonna freak out. The dog? Do you know the dog's name? Uncas. Uncas. Do you know what it's Latin for? No. Hook. What? What? Yeah. Why? I don't know. Well, you know, you. Know, At least that's what the internet told me. 
<laughs> so if the internet is to be believed, well, there's there's imagery in the scene. Like I think the <laughs> that the uh, the choreography itself looks very much like the climactic battle between uh, Peter Pan and Hook in Hook. And there's even some very very specific imagery. Like there's a, a shot of their shadows fighting huh. uh, on the water that is. Huh. Like so, right so out of that movie, maybe some Peter Pan referencing here. Yeah, and they're like they're they're fighting on what looks like docks uh, in in the movie Hook. They're fighting on the docks surrounding uh, the Jolly Roger, I believe, is the name of Hook's ship, and on the ship itself. But of course, the the color temperature and everything is very very different in the scene because it's it's cool and uh, nighttime, whereas it's yeah, very there's warm. the shadow scene, but right there was there. the shadow mm-hmm. shot right there. Um, and then when they lose the swords or when, when, uh, when Wraith loses his swords and they go inside this, uh, this fishing house right here, he actually picks up, we just saw the shot of it. He's going to pick it up and fight with it. He fights with a fishing hook. Yeah. Now this came out, uh, six years before hook came out. However, it is produced by Steven Spielberg and I, yeah, I, yeah. I think he it's very there. much took some imagery from this for his climactic battle at like the end I of said, that movie. Like I said, the dog's name is Latin for hook. I think it's unmistakable. Why else would the dog's name be Latin for Hook? Why else? I, what know, what other reason would you name a dog Hook in Latin? I'm not sure. I don't know. I mean, Uncas sounds funny, but... I don't know. It just seems so strange, especially because it came out before. Like I, We talked back in our Hook episode about how Steven Spielberg had worked on... Uh, doing a Peter Pan movie as early as like 1983 or something, which was two so years before this. So this was something this. that was in, in his mind already. Kind of in the pipeline in mm-hmm. a way, sure. Um, but he didn't actually get around to doing it until, you know, five or six years later. Um, so, yeah, I think it's very, very possible and in fact likely that he took a lot of this imagery for his movie because it, it's very similar. So those are all all movies that I like that are kind of mashed up into this movie. Some like the the Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom stuff kind of feels rip offy because it came the after right because Temple of Doom came out the year before. But the other two, this is long before that. Long before that stuff, and it yeah. it feels like in a lot of ways, and not just superficially either. I think especially the Harry Potter I think stuff thematically feel, in some ways too. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It's not just superficial. Like, oh, it kind of looks like it, and it kind of feels like a little bit. It's and like, and no, I know, the- like, I've I've you know tried to to uh, apologize for for the theory or justify the theory or something like that by saying that it's it's just boarding school and we're dumb Americans who don't know what boarding school looks like. But there are a lot of things about this that really are. Just astonishingly Harry Potter. You know where they shot the school stuff, right? No, where? Oxford. They shot it at Oxford, and they used fake snow, and it actually killed some of the grass <laughs> at Oxford, and Steven Spielberg paid for it personally, oh, paid for dear. all of the, the, the killed grass. Um. So right here, this is the scene that when I was a child just... Oh, God, it just broke me up. And not, again, because I don't think I particularly loved her either as a child. Um. But it it's him. It's his it's this guy who's who is so emotionless in the face of all adversity. Or you know that he should be. In this in this movie again. That's, right. He's young, so he's not quite there yet. But It um, is it is a bit tragic though that his arc is getting over <laughs> his emotionality, but that means becoming kind of a sociopath. Yeah. Like it is kind of his downfall. It's it's kind of a a tragic way to but become. But Watson keeps him from becoming that entirely. Yes, exactly. That Watson, he, he... Watson is his humanity. Right. Um, but anyways, though, this this is the scene that, of course, when I was a kid, it just 
it just made me have all these feelings that I hadn't felt before where where I just couldn't I couldn't fathom the idea of this character that was so brave and so smart and so fearless and yet is broken by by just another person who he's so attached to uh, being harmed or dying. Um, and of of course, in the books, we get the same thing, but it's with Watson, so you can draw your lines there, and that's fine. Uh, anyways, though, in that scene, he makes a comment to her where he says that he'll he'll see her in in like a better place. Hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, so we're supposed to believe that that Holmes believes in a religious afterlife. I'm I'm calling bullshit on that. <laughs> <laughs> However, though, I was calling bullshit on it too because right, like our smartest guy in, you know, literary right. history, at, at least our smartest detective, yeah. right? I know that's a really big why qualifier you, why don't you, to say. Why don't you deductively reason the existence yes. of God? <laughs> right. But um However, though, for some, when I was doing some research on it, Doyle himself was a spiritualist. Wow. That's, yeah. that's kind of surprising. After, now, you say surprising, but his wife died, his son died, his brother died, a bunch of other important people in his life yeah. died, and he dealt with it by uh, uh, going into a strong belief, first in Christian spiritualism, and mm-hmm. then later just um, uh, avowedly becoming not a Christian so much so that they had trouble finding, uh, deciding how to deal with his remains after his death because he was absolutely not a Christian. Interesting. Um, But he was really into ghosts and fairies. Oh, wow. He was like, like he even published some articles and maybe even a a short novel or something like that uh, with these pictures that later were revealed to be fakes, but that he believed had fairies in them. Oh, that's fascinating. Yeah, he was really into that stuff. But I think it was his way. He fell into a big depression after all those people died, and it was his way of, of dealing with that. Um, I've got I've got a note here. You were talking about how Uncas, uh, the dog, is named after, or it's it's Latin for hook. Mm. The note I have on the name is is that Uncas is named after a portion of the brain associated with seizures, and seizures that develop from the Uncas part of the brain are often preceded by hallucinations, which are a major cause of death in the film. Okay. So that's that's interesting. I mean, it still may be Latin for hook. Yeah, which I don't. Is, I don't know. I which never is, took Latin, which is so. cool and kind of a maybe a, a conspiracy theoristy confirmation yeah. biasy way of of saying, oh yeah, that last portion is a lot like hook. But um, that that's the note I have on that. Um, of course, um, everybody everybody gets to geek out here when we. Oh, this profile shot. <coughs> so he, he, he got the hat from Rupert. He got the jacket from Wraith. Moriarty. Moriarty. Uh, and he got the the pipe from Watson. Watson, who bought it at the at the wand shop. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's and here we go, right here. Geek out because we get just just one little just shot. Just a moment. Just a moment of it. That's great. Of the whole getup. So yeah, we're about to wrap up. Um, be sure to stick around after the the credits for a little stinger where Wraith comes back and signs into an inn as Moriarty. It's yeah. a very cool little scene. God, this narration is awful though. It's it is, terrible. It is it's probably the worst. the worst part of the whole movie. I do. But I highly recommend this for uh, kids, definitely. I think it's a great little kids movie, a great little adventure movie. And honestly, Harry Potter fans, like I can't say that yeah, enough. If you absolutely. miss Harry Potter, watch this movie because it's pretty great. It'll it'll bring you back. And yeah. and uh, overall, I still love it. Yeah, and uh, I would say I'm a new fan. Good. 
And here's our yeah. here's our bookended uh, our second our second apology for writing this. Yeah. It's cool, guys. Nobody I cares. I think it's pretty. Well, I mean, somebody does care. It's pretty unnecessary, but you know, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, now that we've reached the end of the movie, uh, we'd like to read a five-star review that we received on iTunes. And this review comes from Sprog51. Sprog51 writes, These two know what they're doing. This is a crisp, clear, very well-balanced movie review podcast. Although many episodes are commentary as the movie is happening, they make it accessible so that you don't have to be watching with them. It's clear they both have a history with film, and it shows in their highly informative analysis of each film. Highly recommended. Thanks so much for that. Man, look at all these people uh, giving us thinking, some love. thinking we know what we're talking about. Yeah. If you'd like to leave us a rating and review on iTunes, we'd really appreciate it. And if it's a five-star review, we'll even read it on the show. As always, you can find us on our website at popcornpoops.com. Please follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook if you'd like to receive updates about the show, including our weekly movie still identification game. If you have a question, comment, or movie request for us, you can reach us on our social media outlets or by emailing us at thepopcornpoops at gmail.com. Next week, we'll be watching and talking about John McTiernan's 1988 film, Die Hard. If you have any questions about that movie or related topics you'd like us to discuss, please contact us through social media or email. Thanks for listening, and until next time, take care. Bye-bye. We are the Popcorn Poops. Hey there, listeners. My name is Ray. And I'm Luke. Together we are the The Super Super Hammered Brothers. On our podcast, we talk about video games, anime, comics, and so much more. Hit a clip for one of our episodes. I am a huge uh, Fire Emblem yeah, fan. Yeah. I play Fire Emblem. I get a blast out of instead of Marth. Marth, you can leave Marth. You know, Marth, just go. Why do have to against Marth? Marth is boring. He is the boringest guy in history. He he's is- like Goku. He's like the guy who comes and say, "Hey guys, how's it going? I'm here to help you save everybody." I mean, like, no, no. Goku's funny because he's stupid. Forget Marth, and then bring back Roy. That's what I say. So if you listen, Nintendo, we're, we're sort of going to hashtag, we're going to hashtag bring Roy back. Roy's our boy. Uh, it yeah. should be Roy, Ike, Lucina, and Robin. That's who you need. Forget Marth. Marth, we don't need Marth. <laughs> Lucina's Marth, and she's better than him. We're done. If you're interested in hearing more from us, go to our website, superhammeredbros.com. You can also listen to us on iTunes, watch us on YouTube, and follow us on Twitter. Once again, we are the Super Hammered Bros, and we hope you will geek out with us.